Six minutes it is now after 8 p.m. And uh, we go into our tech conversations. And I'm joined by Yamkela Spengane, who's a technology researcher and certainly no stranger uh, to our conversations here on Metro FM Talk. Uh, good evening to you, my brother. How are you? Good evening, Aya, and good evening to our listeners. I'm well, thanks, and how are you, sir? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, Yamkela, I want us to, uh, before we get to China, you know, Washington, Donald Trump, TikTok, ByteDance, Walmart, Oracle, and everybody else who is, I guess, an actor in that unfolding drama. I saw today in the Government Gazette, uh, coming from the uh, Department of Communications and Digital Technologies, a new gazette on high-level, I guess, forecasting of digital skills in 21st century life skills that are needed, I guess, to make it into the fourth industrial revolution. What was that about? And what were some of the skills that have been earmarked here as uh, the kind of skills that people should be studying for in order to prepare themselves for all of the technological shifts that are happening? Uh, so uh, this, this new gazette that you were speaking about, basically uh, it is called the National Digital and Future Skills Strategy. So it's mm. a white paper in essence that is looking to start providing a guideline on how to South Africans can begin to reskill themselves for the fourth industrial revolution. And uh, it speaks to how schools will start adopting things like coding, AI. Uh, it speaks to teacher retraining. It speaks to uh, how schools are going to be rolled out with Internet infrastructure. So uh, it tries to cover a lot of uh, different things, including the CETAs, how all the CETAs must now include digital skills in their program outlay. Mm. Uh, it, sp- it speaks to massive open online uh, courses, uh, the MOOCs uh, that are, are popular in the United States. You know platforms like Open edX and edX and, and Udemy and so forth. They're trying to also bring that to be a way of encouraging skills digital skills-based learning. So they're trying to just bring about a skill strategy that retunes uh, our our entire education focus towards digitization and the digital skills. And I think an important component that they add there is that the UIF will now also have to retrain people who, who lose their jobs will now be mm. retrained through the UIF to be incorporated into this digital schemes strategy and be able to now reskill and participate in the digital economy. So I think that was an important component of this. But generally, the outlay of the white paper is just a guideline to say South Africa now needs to prepare itself for this new reality that we are going to live in. And so its guide has a guideline on how to uh, make sure that the citizenry is equipped to live in this new digital mm. dispensation. How, how much of this Yamkela is a moving target? I mean, we know technology changes every day. Um, and I'm quite interested in how much, uh, you know, one can say on the 23rd of September 2020 that you can say with any certainty that, you know, if I train you today and I get you ready in a year, that uh, you will be suitably trained and ready for whatever new roles might emerge in the next five, say, 10, 15 or 20 years. Yes, technology is fast moving, but a lot of other things will not move as fast. Uh, Mm. That's the important thing to say. There are things that will take 10, 20, 30 years to usher in. We we speak about electric vehicles and systems that are going to govern electric vehicles. We are forecasting a future that we don't yet have because 
less than 2% of the cars on the road today are actually electric vehicles. And mm. so when we train people towards that direction, we are speaking about master plans that speak around the year 2035. So you still have an entire uh, like outline of 15 years where you can train people to be equipped for that dispensation where we start phasing out internal combustion engines. Mm. When we speak of uh, other digital technologies, a lot is not going to be lightning fast. It's going to slowly phase in, and it's a matter of sure. just making sure that people are prepared because even as things change, it's a building up of things the sure. way that sure. they were because technology okay. from 2010 and technology from 2020 is not drastically different. A lot is new, mm. but a lot is still the same. So it's a matter okay. of just yeah, making sure that... Yes, sir. Yes, no, I just want us to pause there for a second and take a quick spot break. And when we come back, we'll continue on the score and also, uh, I guess, touch on uh, the uh, TikTok uh, White House debacle, if I can call it that. Yes. 14 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's our Tech Conversations here on Metro FM Talk. And I'm in conversation with Yamkela Spengani, technology researcher. If you just joined us, we touched on uh, the uh, newly gazetted uh, digital skills and 21st century life skills that uh, the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies thinks all of us ought to have uh, in order to prepare ourselves for some of the technological change that is set to hit the labor market. And um, Yamkela, you were saying before the break that uh, if you compare the technology of 2010 and 2020, isn't a lot of really, I guess, fundamental or deep change uh, or anything, I guess, that, you know, if you understand the basics of computing or anything like that or any digital skill, uh, that uh, you probably wouldn't wouldn't be familiar with. Yeah, no, look, there's nothing that has drastically changed. I mean, there was cloud computing uh, in 2010, but not as deep as it was now. But we've already been in 2010 that cloud is the way to go for many businesses, and on-premise infrastructure will slowly be phased out. In 2010, say five to ten percent of businesses use cloud computing now over 60% of businesses will opt for cloud computing as opposed to having on-premise infrastructure. And a lot of other things in technology are like that. We already know the direction which the technology is moving, but it won't be drastically different for someone who learned computing in 2010 to not be familiar with what's happening in 2020 because it's an ongoing and continuous growth rather than leaps and bounds where there's blank areas for someone who did not participate in that particular change of environment. So it, it, the skills program that slowly builds towards a digital strategy and, uh, and a full IR strategy will compensate for people being able to be skilled towards the things that we know that are going to be taking over the world in the next 10 mm. to 15 years going forward. It's not going to be something that is, com- is learned today and is completely useless in the next 10 years. Mm. Yamkela, while this might have come from the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies, one would think that a lot of the, you know, what then, uh, the answer to that question, uh, by way of what needs to be done, some of the interventions that need to be uh, driven uh, uh, in order to respond to this identification of all of these skills, has to be done by other ministries outside of the department. I mean, Department of Basic Education comes to mind. Department of Science, uh, Innovation uh, comes to mind as well. Um, What about, I guess, how we do these processes, white papers, green papers, um, still has us working in silos, in verticals, when ideally this should be a cross-cutting 
thing that uh, filters into the skills planning process that even the likes of the Higher Education and Training Ministry and the Department of Employment and Labor should also be undertaking? Uh, I'd like to believe that it, that uh, there was the whole purpose of the cross-consultation uh, with UIF, with the CITES and so forth, to make sure that uh, this strategy is not locked in within the, the silos. And I think that sure. the, the, the work of the of the Presidential Commission on the 4IR is going to be important there, in that they are cross-departmental and they are able to... They are located within the vertical of the communications and data skills department, but they they, they cut across uh, through all these other ministries to ensure that there's alignment of, of this technology that is promulgated from the, 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 the Department of Communications and Digital Technology. But, so that, that way, we know that it's not someone who's operating in silos and just saying one thing and then other departments doing the other. And then it also speaks to the need of a national innovation strategy that is sitting mm. within one department but speaks across all the departments and promulgates all these things that we are speaking about in this white paper specifically. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly one we're going to watch closely. I mean, I haven't had an opportunity to read uh, the whole white paper. I certainly uh, read some of it. Uh, but I think a great opportunity for all of us uh, who are interested in the world of tech uh, and what skills planning uh, and skills forecasting looks like in that space uh, to engage that particular document, which is uh, going to be open for public participation and consultation, uh, uh, or is already, I guess, uh, in the process of uh, open, being opened up for that kind of uh, consultative process. Now, Yamkela, let's shift our attention to the U.S. Um, give us some of the context here. I think uh, many of us you know, woke up and uh, to all manner of headlines around you know, who now owns TikTok, conflicting news on the part of Walmart and Oracle, uh, certainly don't know about, you know, what exactly is happening here. But give us some of the background and the context to the 20 September deadline that uh, the, uh, the White House uh, put before TikTok. Uh, and uh, I guess some of the reasons behind this, uh, behind this action, which uh, the Chinese government sees as dirty, unfair, and uh, sees it as bullying and extortion. So... People will know that there's this new app that came from China, uh, where a, an app that was previously known as Musical.ly uh, was bought by ByteDance and integrated into the already existing app in, in China. And when it went international, they called it TikTok. It's been the fastest growing social media uh, space ever since Instagram and Facebook all those six, seven, eight years ago. So. It came in and it took the world by storm. It took the United States by storm because it's gained a lot of leadership. Now, this territory is contested territory because in social media, we've seen the power of, of, of Facebook. In social media, we've seen what Cambridge Analytica and the use of social media in political influencing um, has happened over the past 10 years or so. So the, 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 government, the, the government of the powers of the world understand the power that exists in social media. So Trump is saying, okay, I'm seeing this growing mass of social media platform that is not owned by the United States. So it's owned by my direct competitor as a global superpower in China. So that means that if the Chinese want to call on XYZ of the United States information or want to influence an election in the future with, 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 with the information that they hold of the users, they can use this and United mm. States agencies do not have that power. And so to be able to control this, 
said, okay, I'll use the power that I have, which is the distribution platforms of Google um, and Apple. I will ban this from being distributed if mm. it does not comply to the sale. And yep, that has been the bullying that has happened. Yes, I, I want us to pause here. I want us to pause here because we're going to continue and try and unpack, I guess, the motivations and the rationale for Trump doing this. And I guess... Uh, uh, the one issue that you've raised around national security, but uh, one would also think there are all manner of other issues that fit into the political playbook of the Republican Party and Donald Trump, uh, I guess, as a person. Let's, let's pause here and we'll continue on the other side of this. Twenty-four minutes it is after eight p.m. It's our tech conversations here on Metro FM Talk, and I'm joined by uh, tech researcher Yamgela Spengarned. We're talking about uh, the TikTok debacle, uh, ByteDance and TikTok, and some of their bidders here, Oracle and Walmart, uh, seemingly presenting conflicting messages on uh, the future ownership of that uh, application. And uh, as Yamgela was saying before, we went to the break that uh, Donald Trump here using, I guess, whatever tools and means he has at his disposal, and one of those is the massive distribution platform of uh, the Google Play Store and uh, um, uh, the uh, Apple App Store uh, as a platform for some of these uh, applications, and in particular, in this case, for ByteDance's TikTok. Yamkela, I mean, say this happens, um, and maybe before we even get there, I mean, wh what do you make and what do you think accounts for the conflicting messages that we've heard from Walmart and Oracle? It seems like they've been sort of marshaled here to the headmaster's office and being told, use your balance sheet to acquire this company, or if you don't, you know, something's going to happen to you. And they've run helter-skelter and done that. What, what's happening here? So uh, th th that's basically the case, because now, there's a, so TikTok agreed to create a new subsidiary that's called TikTok Global. And the announcement from ByteDance is that, okay, they will give Oracle and and Walmart 20% and they will keep 80% of the shareholders. Mm. Uh, now, uh, that's not what Trump wants to hear. Trump wants to hear that they own TikTok Global. But now uh, TikTok is saying, okay, we can give you TikTok Global, but then we keep the algorithm that does the recommendation. That's the key ingredient in TikTok. So if mm. ByteDance owns that, doesn't matter if Oracle and Walmart own 100% of TikTok Global without the intellectual property, because the intellectual property is what made TikTok the app that it has become. Uh, the new threatening DMRs to Facebook and, and then Twitter and all these other big American social media giants. So there's that uh, element of saying, if you want to own the entire company, then you don't get the, the intellectual property that makes the app what it is. And so uh, the, the lockdown is really about the political influence of China in America more than it is about the applications themselves. Uh, the, mm. That's the deeper thing that we are looking at. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember, I think sometime last year when, uh, when we were broadcasting from India, you know, when you spoke to people in the tech space uh, there in Bangalore, a lot of them were already talking up TikTok, especially for the younger generation. And I guess th this Chinese influence on U.S. public life that you're speaking about, uh, is the concern that, you know, there's a certain cohort of the population, uh, I would say maybe those between the ages of 14 and, say, 25, who have access to a smartphone, that potentially could, one, be an, so enamored by this particular app that they would be a captive audience for 
uh, some of the national security um, concerns that uh, Donald Trump has? Or, uh, I guess, is it here, as you say, part of a much broader mix uh, in the looming context and the growing uh, context of the war between uh, Beijing and Washington? It, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both that you can do. So America, you will know that Edward Snowden uh, really exposed how some of these social media platforms and computing platforms have been used by the, the security agencies in America mm. on spying on. So America knows exactly the power of, of social media. They know exactly what kind of tool it can be to the deep state, to the uh, to the security arms of the state and so forth. So uh, they, they're not speaking from a place of assumption. They're speaking from a place of knowing that you can use this tool in this particular way, as they have across the globe for many years uncontested. And now it's come to their backyard where young Americans from the ages of 14 to 25, 26 are now using a Chinese app more than they are using homegrown American apps. So uh, social, uh, social national security threats, yes, you can say that. If uh, China is going to now turn your youth against you using an app that they are addicted mm. to, it, 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 it's one way to look at it. And yes, that is threatening national security. But uh, we can also look at it from the point of saying this contestation of being a superpower in the, the broader scheme of the trade war between uh, America and China, who is going to emerge as the global leader in the next 10 years, in the next 15 years, it's also a question of the global dominance and whose applications become ubiquitous in the whole world and the so-called fourth industrial revolution. Mm. And that consistation is what is also at the con- at the cornerstone of all of this uh, that is happening between Trump uh, and uh, the other Chinese president. Mm. Xi Jinping, yeah, you spoke about the algorithm, uh, Yamgela, uh, a few minutes ago, and uh, I guess one of the ways in which Beijing has responded uh, to what it sees as bullying and extortion uh, is to modify a set of export rules that uh, complicate this particular deal, that restrict access to certain AI technologies uh, to some of the foreign companies that now will have a stake in ByteDance Global. Uh, what what will all of this mean? I mean, does this mean that I guess some of those who are going to be buying ByteDance Global? Uh, effectively buying a dud with no IP? Basically, uh, China is, is, is trying to sell uh, KFC without the secret recipe, uh, in that uh, if they restrict this uh, recommendation engine with all the AI technology and AI recommendation tools, people will still, uh, Walmart and Oracle, uh, even Microsoft a few months ago wanted to be in the stake with TikTok. So whoever's going to end up with uh, TikTok Global or ByteDance Global will own the app and the skin, but the recommendation engine, which is the key ingredient of what makes TikTok the app that it is, will still be a technology owned by the Chinese. And that means tomorrow they can just liquidate TikTok and create a new global phenomenon using the same technology. Because really what with making it a differentiator is the recipe, which is the algorithm that does mm. the recommendation of the videos and everything else. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, 100 million users in the U.S. already uh, uh, downloading uh, TikTok and uh, using it there. Uh, and if we think about that, I guess also in the context of some of the debates around WeChat, which is owned by Tencent, which uh, I guess for some of us here in South Africa, uh, is uh, uh, one of uh, NASPAS's largest investments by value, if not the largest by value. Um, 
I guess the big question is, if this goes through, what does it mean for the likes of WeChat? What does it mean uh, for many of the other uh, technology players and platforms that are looking towards the United States as a massive market uh, to adopt some of the innovative technology? It, for, I don't think that the Chinese market is sufficient to sustain apps like WeChat. Uh, when you go to the Chinese market, uh, WeChat is ubiquitous. Uh, it's, it's a super app. Uh, you call Didi Weixing in there. You do Alipay in there. Basically, everything that you want to do in Chinese ordinary life is done through WeChat. And then TikTok has also come as ubiquity in the Chinese market. Yes. The 350-odd million Americans are a good market to be in. They are some of the biggest spenders or the biggest spending population group in the planet outside China. But it won't necessarily stifle these apps not to access the U.S. market. Huawei found fame, found uh, prestige as a company while not selling its hardware uh, or software in the United States market. So um, Chinese applications can exist uh, outside the U.S. market. But what the U.S. market or the U.S. government is now pushing to do is to ensure that everyone who's got trade relations with the U.S. bar Chinese applications, and that's mm. where the threat is, when they use their global influence to shut down the doors of Chinese influence outside of the United States. Does it not make... Does not sound, Yamkele, a little bit like what uh, you know a few years ago in Zimbabwe was called indigenization. I mean, I remember there used to be a Zim Asset program, which was really focused on sort of taking different businesses and uh, placing them under the control of uh, 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 Zimbabwean nationals. Do, do you get a sense that you know this is the next phase of the Trump protectionism? This idea of you know uh, uh, the sale of ownership stakes in global companies to American entities. Well, I, I you could say that, but uh, for, for Zim, it was uh, from a point of economic uh, recovery. Yes, it was yes, a point yes. of, look, uh, we need to make sure that our resources uh, work for us. So let's take 40% of Impala, uh, Amplat, or whatever. But now, uh, with America, it's an issue of maintaining dominance. It's an issue of understanding that these companies that are coming out of the East are well positioned to undercut the gains that have been made by American companies uncontested for the last 40, 50 years of the technology market. Uh, the ubiquity of American superiority in the technology space is being, is being contested. And with that contestation comes the contestation of America as a superpower. Because if mm. you are going to a digital dispensation, a 4IR dispensation where technology is the key determinant, it reigns supreme, uh, that means that he who holds the global market in technology is the de facto superpower. And that's what America is trying to contest right now. That's mm. why they're fighting to understand that they cannot let slip their control over the world through allowing the Chinese um, superpowers of technology to go in and control territories that were previously allied to the United States. It goes deep into uh, telecommunications infrastructure and all of that that they've been saying, do not use Huawei, there, whether Oppo, Ericsson, or Nokia uh, in, in, in that space, or Siemens, uh, because they are built by our allies that we can still hold control over mm. as opposed to Chinese-built technology that we can't control. Oh, but we'll have to leave it there, my brother, and uh, certainly going to be watching these ones closely. Uh, as, as I often say with stories like this, has this 
makings of a, uh, a fascinating film script. Uh, but of course, uh, we'll uh, continue to watch that story very closely. But thank you very much, Mshagas, uh, for joining us this evening. Thank you, and good night to your listeners too, Aya. Awesome stuff. That there is technology researcher Amgela Spengani speaking to us this evening for our tech conversations. This evening now, under the microscope, we're going to have a chance to check in with one of our sister stations. Uh, they are a community radio station based out in the Northern Cape, XKFM. And uh, their mission is to preserve the Gu uh, and the queer languages uh, in the Northern Cape and uh, uh, servicing a community that consists of the Gu people who make up 64% of their listeners and the queer people uh, who uh, fall into LSM 1 to 6. And uh, they uh, have a broadcasting license uh, and uh, were granted... Uh, by the SABC and ICASA, a platform here to continue to preserve uh, their heritage, of course, uh, as we celebrate in Gubego year to Glenyanga, September. So uh, we'll uh, pick that story up under the microscope. But before we do that, we check in with some of the teachers in Zimbabwe who are demanding a living wage. And Orange Farm residents are certainly angry about policing in their area and uh, the alleged failure by the police to deal with kidnapping and the killing of children in that community. <laughs> 